church, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is pretty much right, almost in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 6, our text today will be chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah chapter 6, verses, excuse me, 1 through 8. I'll add verses along the way, but um, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Uh, we're beginning a new series today. We just finished up last week, last Sunday, uh, our series through 1 John. And this morning we're starting a, a new series, an eight-week series on the attributes of God. Not all of the attributes, but we're going to look at least eight of them over the next, next few weeks, uh, Lord willing. Uh, it was in his book entitled Attributes of God that A.W. Tozer wrote. He said, we wonder why we don't have faith. The answer is, faith is confidence in the character of God, and if we don't know what kind of God God is, we can't have faith. If God is the object of our faith, and He is, then we need to know who it is we're believing in, who we're trusting, and how that shapes and informs our lives together. So for the next eight weeks, Lord willing, we're going to walk through a series on the attributes of God, and today we're focusing on the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself. Lord, you've revealed yourself in creation, generally. Lord, we can know that God is by looking at your creation and acknowledging that there is a creator. But not only have you revealed yourself in this common, general way, Lord, you have revealed yourself specifically through your word. And as we open the pages of Scripture, we begin to understand your character and your activity more specifically. And so, Lord, today as we open your word and as we consider 
your holiness. Father, I acknowledge that even in considering your holiness, we will fall woefully short of really plumbing the depths of that. But God, we thank you, nevertheless, that you have revealed yourself and that you've revealed yourself as holy because you are holy. So, Lord, would you open our understanding to what that means this morning? And would you help us through the eyes of Isaiah and through his words you've revealed through him that you would help us to grasp your holiness all the more? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why it is we are so drawn to music or songs in particular? different genres. Why, why is it that you or me, any of us, can remember the lyrics of a song we've not heard in years, but as soon as it comes on, whatever it is you're listening to, there you are singing right along with it. Well, songs are powerful because they move and impact us in ways other things don't. So take your playlist for example, whatever it is that is, for good or bad, that playlist has a significant impact on your thoughts, your emotions, and at times even your actions. When you consider the, the scripture, we actually find a playlist of songs through the Bible. There are many different songs revealed in the Bible. In fact, the Psalms are an entire playlist in and of themselves. Early the Old Testament Believer's Songbook. Well, the playlist we have in Scripture is a divinely inspired playlist. It's rich with wisdom and hope. The songs of Scripture reveal essential truths about God and His ways so that we can know Him, so that we can trust Him and follow Him and hope in Him. The first song we have in the Bible and the last song we have in the Bible both point us to the same reality about God. Exodus chapter 15 is the first song in Scripture, and Revelation 15 is the last song we have recorded in Scripture. Both of these, it's interesting that both of these songs, these bookends of, of songs in the Bible, both highlight the very same thing, namely... The holiness of God. In Exodus chapter 15, after God delivered his people from the grip of slavery in Egypt, through the, the, the plagues and all the rest, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses leads the entire nation in a song of celebration, celebrating God's deliverance, yes, but ultimately his holiness. One verse really captures the gist of the entire song where Moses sings. He, he proclaims, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? Then if you jump ahead to Revelation 15, and the Apostle John was given the privilege from God to look into the future and he saw, he sees this moment when the final outpouring of God's wrath was about to take place. And there are those gathered in heaven who, who through faith and perseverance have been martyrs. And 
John tells us there in Revelation 15 that they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. Because all the nations will come and worship before you. Because your righteous acts have been revealed. So there in Exodus 15, and then again in Revelation 15, we have these songs that are directing us, that are pointing us to this, this reality that God is holy. And every and, and, and all the passages in between, this, this theme of, of God's holiness comes up over and over and over again. We know that at least two men in the Bible were permitted to see into the throne room of heaven and write about it. One of those was Isaiah. We find that experience here in our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is allowed to behold God. He's allowed to, to sight into the throne room, and he, and he encounters God in his holiness. I guess if we're taking a, a, a big idea from this passage this morning, it would be this. The holiness of God is something we must know and embrace if we are going to worship and serve Him as He deserves. The holiness of God is something that we must know and embrace if we are going to worship and serve Him as He rightly deserves. And here in Isaiah's vision of God's holiness, we're going to see two really big themes, really big points that, that emerge. We're going to see the revelation of God's holiness and then the impact of God's holiness. The revelation of God's holiness, the impact of God's holiness. Let's begin with the revelation of God's holiness. And we see that primarily in verses 1 through 4. The context for Isaiah chapter 6 is important. If you were to read the first five chapters of this book, you would, you would see how Isaiah is, is recording and speaking to the, the, the decline and degradation of God's people. If you were to chapter 1 and just kind of take an excerpt, a snapshot of, of the reality of, of what God's people were about, or what they looked like, what could characterize them, you, you could go to chapter 1, verse 16, where Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah is speaking to his people, and he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Isaiah is, is pointing out these the, the evil deeds, the opportunity for grace, the opportunity for forgiveness, but he's exposing the ungodliness, the, the, the iniquity, Verse 4 of chapter 1, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. I mean, the, the people of God were in a bad spot. 
And chapter after chapter, until we get to chapter 6, it's just exposing that reality over and over and over again. And so what God's people needed was to regain perspective, not just about themselves, but about God. So the Lord grants Isaiah this access to see him, to behold him. It's interesting that Isaiah notes the time of this vision with a historical reference to King Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, he says. In chapter 1, Isaiah had already started his ministry, basically, under the, the, the leadership of King Uzziah. He was king. Chapter 1, we see that that, that is a reference. Now, chapter 6, it's this vision that Isaiah receives is in the same year that King Uzziah died. And I think that's an, an important historical marker for at least this reason. King Uzziah died as a leper. If you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you can read about this. He died as a leper largely because he, flaunted, he, 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 he detested God's holiness. He was proud. And he would rejected that. And his, and his heart had gone proud and therefore he died as a leper. And so now in contrast to this this ruler who dies as a leper because he was proud and had rejected the holiness of God, Isaiah is presented with this vision of the true king who is perfect in holiness. And what Isaiah says next is really unprecedented. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now if you remember back to Moses. Back in the book of Exodus, God's people had made a golden calf and Moses had been up on the mountain receiving the commandments and God was now threatening to do away with his people because they were a stiff-necked people. That's how he describes them. And so Moses engages, he intercedes on their behalf, he pleads for the Lord to have mercy upon this people. The Lord does. And then during that process, as Moses is interacting with God, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And God said to him, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Isaiah says, in the, key, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So really this is a, a striking moment. Unprecedented access to God here in this passage. And what does he see? He sees a throne. He sees a robe filling the temple. He sees these angelic attendants around the throne. This idea of, of a throne points to the sovereignty of God, how that is on display. But we also know and see throughout this passage the holiness of God. God's holiness is revealed in, in various ways, but particularly through the seraphim, through these angelic hosts, through their behavior and their words. But first at their behavior. These servants are standing and waiting on a seated master, we see. 
above him, verse 2, stood the, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he flew, two he covered his feet. They covered their eyes so that they would not see God face to face. These are angelic beings in the presence of God, and they're covering their eyes so that they would not see him face to face. They cover their feet likely as an expression of humility before God. But then notice particularly their words. As they stood beside the throne in this, in this posture of, of humility and, and covering, they're calling out to one another with this phrase, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This threefold repeated phrase, Holy, holy, holy is used here to indicate totality. In, in Hebrew, a word would be repeated for emphasis. In English, we do that differently, don't we? In, in English, we use a variety of different methods. If we want to emphasize a word, we will maybe capitalize it or underline it or bold if we're typing. Or we will use adjectives like really holy right? or utterly holy. Well, in Hebrew, they would just repeat the word to make emphasis. And that's what's taking place here. These angelic beings were, were declaring holy, holy, holy as an emphasis on his holiness. It's interesting, as a side note, that we don't see this type of emphasis with other attributes, do we? There's not a place in Scripture where you see God being described as love, 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 or good, good, good. Though He is loving, though He is good, we don't see the same repetition of words for emphasis, only here with His holiness. In verse 4, we see that the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. This imagery of the foundations shaking is, is, a, is the customary reaction of the earth in the, to the divine presence. The smoke here is, 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 is again, this, this, this picture, this imagery even, of, of being present to screen even Isaiah from fully seeing God. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, but there even in that throne room is this presence of smoke to, to veil God in the fullness of who he was and is. So even in this vision where Isaiah is allowed to see more than most ever would, his vision is still limited. Whenever we speak of the holiness of God, we often think a number of things. We think of moral purity, and certainly that's part of His holiness. But the word holy means separate, or to separate. And that's what this idea is communicating. Holiness is pointing out the fact that God is separate. He is separate from us. But it's also more than that. It's, it's not only is He separate from us, He is above and beyond us in every way. 
so much so that he seems totally foreign to us. So in one sense, God's holiness is not simply an attribute like the others. Like as one among many. This word really calls attention to the fact of who God is in his essence. He is holy. Holiness does point to the fullness of God's majesty, his purity, his righteousness, his glory, everything about him. We even fall short. This, this somewhat even is a fool's errand this morning to try to describe to you the holiness of God because we will fall short. Even in trying to explain his holiness, we will lack words, we will lack idea about what that truly means. Think about the entire, think about the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the entire religious activity described in the Old Testament regarding the people of God was really depended upon and determined by this very truth. That God is holy. Think about the law of God. The sacrifices. The need for a temple. This constant emphasis throughout the Old Testament was that humanity, because of our weakness and our sinfulness, that we're separated from God. The law, the sacrifices, even down to the design of the tabernacle and later the temple, all pointed to how we must know and keep our place before God who is holy and that and that, that place was not to be in his presence because he's holy and we're not. The revelation of holiness. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And this is what he saw. Well, that leads us right into the next point, which is the impact of God's holiness. What did this do to Isaiah? How did this impact him. The impact of holiness, the impact of God's holiness, we see this fleshed out in verses 5 through 8. It was in his renowned book on the holiness of God that R.C. Sproul said, the human dilemma is this, God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are not. The fact that God is holy presents a dilemma for us. And we see that, that dilemma being exposed here in Isaiah's response, don't we? In fact, we see Isaiah walk through a process of response as he encounters God in his holiness. First of all, we see this. We see an immediate conviction. An immediate conviction. When, when you think about the, the position that Isaiah was put in, that he had this unprecedented access to the throne room of God, to see God in his glory and his holiness, you would think that the first thing Isaiah would have said was, wow! But he says, woe. Woe is me, for I am lost. The first thing Isaiah notices as he encounters God's holiness was the fact that he, Isaiah himself, was not that. He wasn't holy. Thresholds were not only, the, the thresholds as we saw in verse 4 were not the only thing shaped.
shaking at that moment. Isaiah now was, was troubled by the fact that he was in the presence of, of holiness. This cry of woe is me, it may seem or sound odd to our modern ears. It's not a term that, I don't know about you, I don't use woe very much, unless I'm on a horse, which I never am, right? Woe, though, is a biblical term. It was a term associated with judgment. The prophets would often pronounce woes, and when a prophet would pronounce a woe, he was pronouncing a curse or a judgment upon the people at that particular time for a particular reason. So you did not want to have a woe assigned to you because that was bad. Alright? Just think, woe is bad. That means you were being held accountable and responsible and being judged because you were outside of the bounds of God's law and now this woe is being pronounced. And when Isaiah was confronted with the presence of God, he utters a woe. Not this time on the people of God, this time on himself. Basically, he's calling down a curse on himself as he encounters God in this moment. And after he calls forth this woe, this, this judgment upon himself, he immediately responds with what seems to be a conclusion of despair. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. Some translations may say, I am ruined. I am undone. The word literally means to come apart at the seams. That's what Isaiah felt and experienced when he encountered the holiness of God. He was falling apart. He was coming apart at the seams because of his lack of holiness. His sinfulness. Matthew Henry, the old Puritan, said once that no attribute of God is more dreadful to sinners than his holiness. And that's what Isaiah feels in that moment. In one simple glimpse into the throne room, into the presence of God, where Isaiah beholds the glory and the holiness of God, he came apart. And any sense of standing before God at that moment seemed to collapse. Notice what Isaiah says. Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's, he's confessing his sin there to God. The fact that he was a man of unclean lips, we're not exactly sure how that fleshed itself out in Isaiah's life, but what he's acknowledging is that even, even, even his attempt to speak on behalf of God would fall short, would, would come out of a mouth that's unclean. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, people of, in the midst of a people like this. Why does he say that? Why is he confessing his sin? He says, for my eyes have seen the king. Because Isaiah was allowed this unprecedented access into the throne room, because Isaiah encountered the glory and the holiness of God, the only thing he could think of, of at that moment was his lack of holiness, the, the reality of his own sinfulness before God. 
just one moment, Isaiah was able to see the fullness of God. And at the same time, he was able to see the reality of himself. Friends, I think this points out something that we all need to consider because today, people's estimation of themselves tends to be fairly high. When we do kind of a self-check, we tend to come out pretty well because when we do that, we can always find someone else that's not up to par. And we begin to compare ourselves to other people and we, we can come out pretty good. Right? If I'm having a bad day, I just think of a number of people that I think are in worse shape and I, okay, it's not so bad after all, right? That's not the reality that the scripture, we're not told in the Bible that we're going to stand one day before God and give account of our lives based upon how well we did compared to others. That's just, that's not the standard God judges by. The standard God judges by is his own holiness. We know that because in the Old and New Testament, Leviticus and Peter, he says, be holy. For I am holy. God is calling us to, to be holy, to be like Him in holiness. And the problem is, none of us are. So, and one of the challenges that we have, I think especially in our, in our day and time, is when people's estimation of themselves tends to be fairly high. I mean, how many times do we hear, well, they're a good person. Well, what are you basing that on? They may be, based upon whatever you're discussing in the context, but compared to God and His holiness, no one is good. No one does right. When compared to that standard, that's the whole, really the, the driving point of the Old Testament is laying this foundation that God is the holy creator of the universe and that He has given us commands to follow, to be like Him, and we break those commands, every one of them. And He's given these sacrifices, after, one after another, as a, as a means to, to bring us back into right relationship with Him, and yet we all fall short time and time again. This emphasis throughout the Old Testament is to show that we are not holy. And Isaiah feels the weight of that in this moment as, he can, as, he's, as he's encountering God. Friends, if you want to get a true assessment of who you are, you do not need to look inside yourself or around yourself. You need to look up to, to the reality of who God is. For you to get a right, accurate assessment of who you truly are by your nature in your heart, look to the holiness and the character of God. And you will find real quick that your response will too be, woe is me. Isaiah was immediately cut to pieces when he beheld the glory of God. But thankfully that's not the end of Isaiah. We see this immediate conviction of sin that comes over him. 
Then we see a needed cleansing take place. This, this cleansing that takes place in verses 6 and 7. We have this, this amazing scene where one of the seraphim flew over to Isaiah with a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. We think about all of this imagery. There's a lot kind of packed into these few verses. The, the, the scene here is shows us much about the character of God beyond His holiness. Not only is He a God of unapproachable holiness, He is a God of amazing grace. The piece of burning coal was brought from the altar. The altar was a place in the temple of a of perpetual fire, which was the place where God's wrath would be satisfied by sacrifice. Fire was often symbolic of God's presence, but also of His wrath and His judgment. And here, a coal is brought from this altar that, that symbolized for us the, the wrath and the judgment of God that would need to be appeased by sacrifice, as we see in the Old Testament system. The blood of a sacrifice would often be sprinkled upon the altar as an atonement for sin. And here, a coal is brought from that altar, placed upon Isaiah's lips as an atonement for sin. Look at the text. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful reality. This burning coal symbolizes the gracious provision of God to cleanse Isaiah from his sin and points to our need of atonement. Not only that, that God himself provides the atonement. This, friends, is the story of the Bible, isn't it? The whole storyline of Scripture is highlighted in, in short right here, what we see happening with Isaiah. The fact that God is holy. He created us as His image bearers. Right? And He calls us to be holy like He is holy. But we know that because of our rebellion and our sin in our hearts, we, we rebel against Him and we, we, we run away from Him. We break His laws. We've all rejected this call to holiness breaking his commands and we stand guilty before this holy judge who has every right to judge us and condemn us in our sin yet God in his kindness God in his kindness has made a way for our sins to be atoned for for his wrath against our sin to be satisfied and our sin to be forgiven the, the Old Testament sacrifices were laying that foundation setting the stage for this provision as animals were brought, killed the blood of these animals sprinkled upon the altar and sin would be forgiven but one day a perfect lamb was presented and this time not from a flock on a hillside this lamb came from a throne in heaven. God himself would send his son into the world to be this perfect lamb, to be this sacrifice, and Jesus would be that. He would be this perfect lamb without spot or blemish, and he himself would offer his, his life on the sacrificial altar of the cross, and as his blood was shed, forgiveness would be received. 
brothers and sisters, the holiness of God confronts us headlong with a dilemma. But by the grace of God, we are not left in a dilemma. God himself provides the solution to the problem we all face. You know, I've said this before, that the holiness of God is our greatest problem. It, it, that's the reality. Of all the problems you have in this world, the greatest problem you have and the greatest problem I have is the fact that God's holy. And that's not his fault. That's just who he is. The reality is that we've rejected that and we fall short of that. And the only way for us to be reconciled to God is through the gracious work that he has provided for us through his son. It's a beautiful fact, brothers and sisters, that the same one who is perfect in holiness is also gracious. And then that leads us to what we see in Isaiah's life, an empowered commission. Verse 8. An encounter with holiness may leave you humbled before God, but it will not leave you hindered in serving Him. In just a few short verses, Isaiah goes from being a guilt-ridden man who had come apart at the seams, melting before God in utter shame, to being now a man sent on mission for God. The holiness of God should humble us in our sin, but when we've been reconciled to God, it becomes the very truth we want to proclaim to others. Not only does, you know, before it's our greatest hindrance, now it's our greatest hope. The scene changes for Isaiah. Up until this point, he had only seen the glory of God and heard the seraphim calling out to one another. Now, for the first time in this, this scene, he hears the voice of God. In verse 8, we read these pretty well-known verses. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Then I, then I said, Here am I. Send me. Now the mission that Isaiah goes on is not a glamorous one. Because if you keep reading, he's got his work cut out for him. Usually the, the, the mission conferences stop right there and it all sounds great, right? Oh, here am I, send me. Let's go. But Isaiah's task was basically to bring condemnation to the nation. He was going to preach. Well, you just keep reading, verse 9. Keep on hearing. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. On and on we go. Basically, Isaiah's purpose was to be a, a preacher of woe and judgment to the people of God for their rebellion. But Isaiah had undergone a transformation here, and he, you see how he goes from this, this, this place of humility and being undone before God to now being sent on mission. This pattern we see here with Isaiah is common throughout the Bible. People encounter the Lord. They shrink in shame over their sin. They are cleansed through Jesus and then sent out to serve the Lord's purposes. 
Time and time again, we see this pattern. God appears, he confronts, he forgives, and then he sins. Think about this. Isaiah goes from being a man of unclean lips, and through this transformation that he receives here by atonement, he now uses those same lips, unclean, now using those same lips to proclaim the truth of who God is. His mission was to use his redeemed lips to point to the truth of who God is. But friends, it began. It began with seeing God in his holiness. Friends, you will not be in a place to serve God until you've been reconciled to him. And you will not be reconciled. You will never see your need for reconciliation until you behold the reality of who God is in His holiness. It doesn't take a vision like Isaiah had. God has been kind and has revealed Himself in His Word. Part of which we get to see what Isaiah saw. God's holiness doesn't stop with Isaiah's vision. God calls his people to pursue holiness, to live lives of holiness, to, 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 to seek after that as a characteristic of your own life as we seek to be like him. And he has promised us that one day we will be holy. Any of you ever heard of the book of 1 John? Remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 2? Where John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. That is our hope, brothers and sisters. That is our hope. Our great hope is that there's coming a day that for all who have trusted in God's great atoning work through his son, Jesus Christ, that we will see what Isaiah saw, not in part, but in full, and we shall be like him forever. Holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this, this picture, this vision, this revelation through your word of who you are. Lord, we thank you that you have given us privilege of opening your scriptures and seeing you for who you truly are. Father, we acknowledge that we will spend a lifetime here on this earth trying to fathom the depths of your holiness and we will never fully see it or understand it. But God, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are good, that you are gracious, that that 
that you've not left us in a dilemma because of our sin and our rebellion against you. But God, you have provided us much hope through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, would you help us to to continue to grow in our understanding of your holiness. The Lord, that, that our minds and our hearts would, would understand that more and more and more and that, that how that impacts us day by day. How we're called to, to reflect that same character in our lives. But Lord, we know that we still fall short. And Father, the great, the great and glorious news of your redemption is not only has our sin been atoned for? But God, you have secured and promised that one day we shall be like you and we shall see you as you are. Holy, holy, holy. Thank you, Father, for this great gift, this great hope that you've given us in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.